Well, good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. You don't need to look very far in our world today to see that we live in a society that has mastered the ability to both determine and achieve our every desire. But what if after all that hamster wheel running and carrot chasing, we find that there's something we long for that actually cannot be found under the sun? This morning, as we continue to look into the Old Testament for portraits of Jesus, we come across a dramatic story comparing Jesus to the ancient and elusive provision of manna to the Israelites. Thanks for joining us today as we find a timely reminder that man does not live by bread alone. Uh, One of the things I never liked when I would go fishing with my dad was having to uh, fillet up the fish when they were still flopping. I don't know if anybody else was like that. I didn't particularly like that, but what do you need actually to keep a fish alive? Anyone know? What do you need to? Water, oxygen, food, probably the right temperature of water. Uh, We have a little, we have a little aquarium uh, in, in my house where I've got about 10 little tiny fish that just spend their day living in this little jail cell I got for them right there. But um, I found, because one, one of the things that I'll end up doing is I count them from time to time. I'll sit at my desk and I'm so easily distracted, right? But there I'll start counting the fish, seeing if I can find them all. And then one was missing. I thought, where could he be? I'm looking under the leaf, looking under the rocks, nowhere to be found. Uh, it turns out a couple days later, I find this crispy little fish jumped out the back and he's He's laying out there, just, just done. I mean, like a like a shriveled up sardine. Now, what do you suppose would happen if I put him back in the water? Think he think he spring back to life? No. You see, I, I could give him all the things that he would want, right? I could give him a safe little environment. There's no predators. I could get the water temperature just right. Plenty of food. He's got friends. There's one thing I can't give him though. I can't give him life. I, I could offer everything that would make it comfortable, but it's no good to him. It's useless to the fish unless he has life. We, we're very much like this fish. Our world is very much like this aquarium. And I find that as I look to the way in which humans today think and really throughout time have, we're so easily distracted to think about wanting to amass for ourselves the things that would make us comfortable here. The things that feel like a nice temperature. The things that feel like full bellies. When really there's something that you and I cannot produce for one another. And we're distracted at the smaller things. Looking down rather than looking up. For we've missed that which is most important in the world. And that's life that comes from Jesus. It's true life. It really kind of sets for us, if we really pay attention, the right priority for where we need to give our attention. Sure, you may have everything you want here on this earth, but what's going to happen that day when the Lord says, time's up? How much are all those cars and boats and properties, how much will those mean to you in that moment? You and I will need to hold on to the only thing that you cannot offer to yourself, the only thing you cannot purchase with cash, and it's life. In Moses' day, uh, they really struggled with this. Uh, you, you might recall the story of Moses. They come out of Egypt, right? Which for them was, it was slavery. It was death. There was no future there for the promises of God. But he leads them out. And it's a very short amount of time before the people start to say, shoot, man, where's the food? Where are the leeks and the meat and all the biscuits? And where, I mean, you took us out of slavery only to kill us here in the desert. 
and they start grumbling because they want to have everything here set in a way that's comfortable. In Jesus' day, they had a similar problem. They were looking in the wrong direction. In Colossians, uh, Paul writes that everything that we see in the Old Testament laid forth for the people, he he calls them uh, a shadow. They're just a shadow. I remember uh, when my daughter was a little bit younger, she first discovered her shadow. That's a fun thing to see a kid discover their shadow. Now, if you've ever seen someone's shadow, right? uh, You don't. You, you, I, I, let me back up a second. Have you ever recognized somebody by their shadow? You know what I'm talking about? Like you can maybe see them approach and you can almost see who they are just by looking at their shadow. Well, if you've ever done that, do you talk to the shadow? You spend time with, hello there. How are you today? Looking at the shadow? No, when you look and you see that for which the shadow is representing, you turn your eyes there. This is the same thing that Paul is trying to show us that the the pictures that come in the Old Testament, which is what we're studying, the the portraits of Jesus that are found in the Old Testament, they're just shadows. And we don't look to the shadows anymore. We look to where life is found. And so this being the problem of our world today, uh, I think God allows this in our lives to continue to test us, to see if we will focus on the temporary, to see if we focus on the shadow, or if we will lift our eyes. Because the root of the problem is in humankind... Hear me now. You and I, we hunger for the wrong thing. Being woven into this world and coming from a brokenness of a cursed world, the tendency for you is to hunger for the wrong kind of food. You and I need life. Uh, I've entitled this message, Jesus as the Bread of Life, and we're going to be in John chapter 6. I invite you to please turn there with me. We actually kind of have a fairly difficult undertaking this morning. We're going to work through extremely long passage of scripture twice we're going to do it and so for to that end i'm going to i'm going to move a little quickly this morning to see if we can make sure that we're we're keeping on track with things but i I want you to know really what we're needing to focus on here is the story uh john chapter 6 it's page 1655 in the pew bibles so i invite you to follow along if you can pick one up or if you brought your bible today We need to focus on the story, but there's quite a few observations to make here as well. As we look to hear what Jesus says, pictured by that which was spoken of in the Old Testament. This idea of the distractions that come for people in this world. So, John chapter 6, it starts out with this incredible miracle. Jesus is here teaching, and the crowds have gathered. There is such a great multitude, very hard to even number. 5,000 numbers amongst the men, which means for women and children, that number continues to increase. And the situation is, and you've heard this before, right? Uh, the disciples are looking around. They're thinking, oh, it's getting late. People's bellies are starting to rumble a little bit, right? And so uh, we should probably send these people away. But uh, Jesus says, no, you give them something to eat. And there the story of the young lad here who brings his two small fish and his Five little loaves, and Jesus multiplies it and feeds the people. Can you imagine if you were there? Can you imagine that? What, what do you think that fish tastes like? Awesome. I mean, walleye. Who's with me on walleye? Maybe a big, thick perch flank, right? I mean, just, it must have been incredible. And there's part of the reason that I think we can actually tell that this was an amazing meal for these people. Because right at the end of the story, uh, Jesus actually kind of gets away. He, um, he, He goes, if you look at the end in verse 15 of this little passage, he says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king, because that's what you do with a guy that can 
feed this many people and this amazing miracle. It says he withdrew to a mountain by himself. So he gets alone. And then night falls and we, we get another kind of act two of this story. And so you have the disciples now and they're going to cross the lake. They get in the boat. And as they're out there on the water, um, they begin to grow afraid because verse 18 says a strong wind was blowing and the waters were rough. And then they see Jesus walking on the water right past them. Who thinks he was skipping? Anybody? That'd be amazing, right? But there they see Jesus. And here's this amazing picture. uh, Jesus is still coming to them in the middle of their turmoil and distress. He's still there. But he's actually moving away from the crowds. I want you to see that that's what's going on in this picture. You have this huge multitude of people rallying for Jesus to be king. Jesus says, I've got to get some me time. I've got to get alone with the Father because uh, that's where I find life. It's not in the accolade and the um, appraise of men. It's, it's being united with my Father. So he gets away. And then again, he, he's moving away from the crowds as he goes across the lake. And this gets us over to verse 25 where we're going to pick up the story. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Can anybody, um, I, I, I kind of get a little Bible study like here on Sunday morning, but let me give you the answer. Can you tell why the people were chasing after Jesus? Because they wanted to worship him as Messiah or so they could get another what? Another free meal, right? More fish and chips. That's what they're chasing after Jesus for. This is exactly what Jesus says to him here. Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. And so they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we can see it and believe? Now, I hope you're reading between the lines on this. They're not asking for a pillar of smoke or fire. You know what they're asking for, right? Show it, hey, show us another sign, right? Maybe, maybe some potato bread and pumpernickel and, you know, maybe a couple of crappies this time. Show us another sign. If you're reading between the lines here with the text, the crowd here is really clamoring again to put Jesus on the spot and get a little bit something out of him. Again, something to make their bellies full under, uh, under the sun. So they asked him, what miraculous sign will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Uh, I know this to be what they're thinking because look at the illustration they gave in for 31. Our forefathers ate manna in the desert. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Bellies are rumbling again. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. (laughs) You can see they're not even hiding it now in verse 34. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. I'm confident they don't even know what they're asking for here. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. 
For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him. Because he said, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. Why would that frustrate him? Because what are they looking for? Bread from heaven or? Yeah, real bread. Bread, bread. That's great, Jesus. You're bread from heaven. But do you have any real bread? This is why they're grumbling, right? They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say that I've come down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who's from God. Only he has seen the Father. And I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate manna in the desert, yet they died. But here's the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that has come down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is a real food, and my blood is a real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that has come down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died. But he who feeds on this bread will live forever. So so here's our picture. As we're in this series, taking a look at portraits of Jesus from the Old Testament, the primary portrait that rises to the surface here is that the Jewish crowd came up with, right? Give us bread from heaven. Give us manna. And Jesus takes their request and he really looks at it and juxtaposes what happened historically with manna and how that contrasts with what God now offers in Jesus. So if we're going to figure this out this morning, and I thank you for everybody with me still, you're following along, right? Um, we got to actually go back and read the story about manna. So uh, what we're going to do is make you professionals at flipping back and forth in the Old Testament, New Testament this morning, right? I'd like you to turn to the book of Exodus. All the way, second, second book in the Old Testament here, the book of Exodus chapter 16. And, and let's take a look at what actually happened and what these Israelites are remembering. What, what is it that happened with God giving manna? And how is that a picture of Jesus? Exodus chapter 16. 112. Page 112 in the Pew Bibles. <clears throat> now, just as point of review, what was it that the Jewish folks wanted? The bread of life or the bread of bread? Uh, that's what they were after, right? So let's now, understanding that, let's take a look at Exodus 16, right here, verse 1. 
The whole Israelite community set out from Elam, came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month, they had come out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What a great bunch of folks, huh? (laughs) Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and this is to be twice as much as they would gather on all the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Again, who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked towards the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening, quail came, covering the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, he who gathered much did not have too much. And he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil, save what's ever left, and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you're to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands in my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. 
That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day, and no one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna, keep it for the generations to come so that they will see the bread that I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. There. Everybody still with me this morning? You guys good? You got these two stories. John 6, Exodus 16. I want to start out here by highlighting a few differences between the two. Firstly, manna expires, but Jesus does not. If we're going to find the picture of Jesus that's seen here, depicted... Through this action that happened in Exodus, the first thing that we have to recognize is there's a difference between these two. Manna is going to go bad. But Jesus never goes bad. Here, if you can recall in Exodus 16, Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it till morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept a part of it till morning. But it was full of maggots. It began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. But then in John 6, you'll read this. All those whom the Father has given me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus never goes bad. There's no expiration date with Jesus. He says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So that's the first thing I want you to see, this difference between the two. This is why Jesus is going to encourage them. Man is really not the answer. Listen, bread's really not the answer. You need life. Secondly, a difference between them is that manna satisfies temporarily, but Jesus satisfies eternally. Manna will fill your belly for one day, but Jesus will make it such that you will never hunger again. Again, in Exodus 16, This is what the Lord commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer, each person. For everyone in your tent, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. When they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much. The one who gathered too little did not have too little. Everyone gathered as much as he needed until the next day. And then they had to do what? Do it again. It satisfies, right? The, The grumbling went away, but for how long did it go away for? One day. Then it ran out. Not so with Jesus. Then Jesus declared, this is verse 35, chapter 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Manna satisfies temporarily. Jesus satisfies eternally. Number three, this final difference. By the way, there's a lot more. I just simplified it down uh, that we just look at these three. Manna was a provision for physical life, but Jesus is a provision for eternal life. Uh, At the end of the story, you might recall, the idea was we're going to put some of this manna in a jar and we're going to save it for all generations because this is going to be a witness of a testimony of how God provided for you physically. It did. Manna provided for them. It's, It's what they needed. But there was a greater 
action that was going on with the man. And we're, we're going to look at that here in a moment. But with Jesus for spiritual life, for eternal life, he says, for my flesh is real food, my blood is real drink, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. Manna was a provision for physical life, and Jesus is a provision for eternal life. Now, there are some similarities between Jesus and manna. I'd like us to look at those very quickly. First of all, manna and Jesus are to be received by faith. Both manna and Jesus were to be received by faith. You, you might not know this, but back in Exodus, when the Israelites went out to look at it, they called it manna. Uh, so in, in verse 15, when they saw it, they said to one another, what is it? That's the Hebrew word for manna. <laughs> That's what manna means. What is it? Right? So the next time you're feeding one of your kids something and they say, what is it? You just tell them it's manna. <laughs> That's what that is. Here's the idea. The Israelites went out and they saw this stuff on the ground. Um, they're collecting it. Do you have enough? What is it? Yeah, I got a bunch of what is it. <laughs> That's what the word manna means. But this for them was received by faith. See, they didn't really know what it was. They couldn't make sense of how it got there. They believed it was from God. So in order to receive the manna, without having the answer to the question, they're receiving it by faith. The same is true with Jesus. You remember early on uh, when the crowd here looking for having their bellies filled, uh, they ask him, what should we do? Uh, or what, what do we need to do to do the works that God requires? And here's Jesus' answer. The work of God is this. To believe in the one that he has sent. Both manna and Jesus were needing to be received by faith. You won't always get an answer to what you're facing in life. In fact, this is why Christians are a little peculiar. Remember, we come and worship by faith. The risen God. Why? Why? Because you you can go downtown and find him and shake his hand and see him? No, I believe by faith. There was one disciple who really was passionate about following Jesus. In fact, this disciple among any others, when Jesus said, i got to go to Jerusalem because I'm going to die there, this was the guy saying, let's go. We're going to go with him. You might think it's Peter, but it wasn't. It was Thomas. And there, after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, eyewitnesses, it's still Thomas saying, man, I don't believe this. I want to, but I don't. And Jesus suddenly appears there and says, Tom, come here. I don't know if you called him Tom. That'd be cool if he did, right? <laughs> Put your hand here. Feel. Put your hand on the side. This is me. He says, you believe now because you have seen, but blessed are those who believe and have never seen. That's all of us here today. This is what makes Christians peculiar, that we live our lives by faith, believing in the resurrected Christ. The same was true when it came to the Israelites with manna. They had to believe that this was true. They furthermore, we're going to have to believe the word of God. And uh, I'm, I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it here in a moment. But the whole idea with the Sabbath, that was the crucial deal with manna. I'm, I, I, get, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So here we go. Manna and Jesus were offered daily. That was the uh, second similarity between them. Manna daily and Jesus also daily. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, first of all, in Exodus 16, the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day. You're going to go find this stuff. You got to go back out and, and he will provide you what you need for every day. We, we prayed it this morning already, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Um, 
there needs to be an awareness amongst the believer that that has to speak of more than just physical needs. It does speak to physical needs, but there has to be more that's met. Because Jesus, in your life, is something that you can't go a day without. Any amens on that? What do you think? Amen. Every day I need Jesus in my life. And so Jesus says in John uh, 6, 58, uh, This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate man in the desert. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. That verb right there. It's a present active participle. Meaning that it's something that happens continually. There isn't get a little bit of Jesus and, you know, that's all I need of him. You will find a little bit of Jesus means I never hunger for anyone else. Your hunger is satisfied. But you and I, we feed on Jesus daily. Daily we make it. This is why Jesus says, my flesh is real food. Really has confused a lot of people. Even Christians today thinking as to what way is Jesus' body real food. It's not the kind like, no, no, no. That's not the kind of real food that it is. It is a real spiritual food. That you need every day. So, both manna and Jesus were offered daily. And thirdly, manna and Jesus were given freely by God's grace. There there was no delineation here for who gets it and who doesn't get it. All were were welcome. It, it It was given to all. You didn't have to be good enough, tall enough, strong enough, smart enough. It was given freely by God's grace. Again, in Exodus 16. In the desert, the whole community grumbled, right? You remember, remember the story, right? They go to Moses, why don't you leave us in Egypt? At least we could eat there. Very end, then the Lord said to Moses, I'll rain down bread from heaven. Did you see grace there? For, for the people who here are not following God, not trusting God, they're led out of Egypt, but... Boy, that's got to be hard for Moses, I can just imagine. How much harder for God to have the people continually complaining? And yet, what does God do? Does he squish them like ants? Which probably would have been the right answer. In fact, we actually have Moses appealing to God not to do that. And Moses, on behalf of the community, repenting for the people such that God would not squish them like ants. But this is grace. This is pure grace. And again, in John 6, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you bread from heaven. It's my Father who's giving you the true bread from heaven. Both manna and Jesus are given freely by grace. Now, those are some observations. Everybody still with me? Two big stories here, but now I really want to get to the main point. As we look to conclude, here's, here's the main point. You need something more than bread. You need something more than bread. The Jews were hungry. We're following Jesus, looking for another miracle. We got, our forefathers got manna. Show, give us this bread, right? The, the, they were looking down. They weren't looking up for life. The Israelites as well. Going to Moses. Jesus, we wish we had all the sausages back in uh, Egypt. They were hungry. The longer I talk, the hungrier y'all going to get for, for fellowship hour. You need something more than bread. There's a passage in Deuteronomy that I think really sheds a lot of light on what's going on with the manna. It's going to help us today. In Deuteronomy 8, this is what Moses records for us. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. 
which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That was the lesson with manna. And I, I want you to remember something about that story because this is the picture of it. He said, six days you're free to go out and pick it. Remember, daily you got to go. But on the seventh, what were you supposed to do? Now, knowing these folks who are so hungry here, grumbling with Moses, complaining, what do you think some of them did on the seventh day? Saturday shows up and, and, and I'm sure it was the wife saying, you know he told us you're not supposed to go out. He said, hey, no problem. Let me go out and see what's out there. I'm hungry. What was out there? Seventh day. What did they find? There wasn't anything there. How, how would that possibly happen? And then some others thinking, hey man, let's get a little bit extra today. And so they really packed that thing in. And Moses said you were supposed to eat it all. And he says, oh, save a little bit for tomorrow morning. A little bit of breakfast snack in the morning. As he woke up, ready to get a little cracker there and opened up the can, what, what did he find in there? Not sweet like honey, but maggoty and stinking. All right. Combine those ideas. First of all, you're, you're not to go on Sunday, which means we better save some. But time out. What happens when we save some? What ter- what's it turn into? Maggot stew, right? We don't want to eat that. Except, is that what happened? That's not what happened at all. Are you, are, you, are you all seeing this? Saturday morning, they got up on the Sabbath, and there it was, just like God had said, because that was the test for them. Are you going to be willing to follow and listen to God's instruction and obey God for what he says? It may not make any sense to you, but that's no problem. don't have to make sense to you. You just need to obey what God has told you to do. This is the test that they were given. Throughout this, you will find... And I need to just remind you that their real problem was not physical death. My, uh, my son's 10 going on 16. I mean, the, 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 the bottomless pit is starting to begin, folks. I'm going to have to ask the church for a raise or something. I mean, this is... I'm going to die! I'm so hungry! I'm gonna, you ain't going to die! <clears throat> physical death. Is not the issue. And you might think it is, right? That I'm so hungry, I'm going to die. Physical death is not the issue. It's spiritual death. That's the problem. Physical death is not the problem. Spiritual death is the problem. They have their, they have their eyes focused on the wrong thing. Having all the bread in the world will help you zilch. Go on. Go back to Egypt. They're not living after the word of God. They're going after now having their bellies filled. Paul writes in Philippians. I don't know if you remember looking at this. He said, there are many who live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their, do you remember? Their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Folks, you turn on the news and you'll see folks glorying in that which is shameful today's world. But they are controlled by their appetites, their gods, or their stomach. That was the same problem in Moses' day. They would rather worship foreign gods than follow God because of their stomach. And here you have the Jews following Jesus that aren't looking for a miraculous sign that they would worship the Messiah. They just follow their stomach. Your problem is not physical death. It's a spiritual death. Therefore, your solution is not a physical solution. It's a spiritual solution. You, you, you might have missed this, but uh, throughout John, I, want, I have it highlighted for you. The issue again, not physical death, but being brought back to life. He says over and over, And this is the will of him who sent me, 
that I should lose none of those he has given me, but raise him up on the last day. If you missed it, he says again, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. And no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them and I will raise him up on the last day. There's your solution. You and I, we don't need bread. We need living bread. Every single person who gets sick Every single person who struggles on earth, every single human who's born is born with an expiration date. Death is part of the game, folks. Because of sin, because of the curse, this is what we have. You, you could get bread all day long. Get the riches of this world all day long. And what would, it, what, would it, what would a man gain if he got the whole world, but spiritually he forfeits his soul? Your problem is not... A physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. And you and I, we need life. Jesus offers it. You and I, we need something more than bread. Uh, the second uh, conclusion here is that your spiritual solution is, here it is. What, what is the spiritual? It's believing God's word. If you, if you miss this, Jesus repeated over and over again. John 6, 29, 35, 40, 47. Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one who is sent. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. For as my father's will, everyone looks to the son and believes in him will have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And very truly, I tell you, everyone who believes has eternal life. Now, this isn't a believe like the James is going to say the demons believe. This is not a... Uh, intellectual assent to say that God exists. This is the kind of belief that has faith, that has action behind it. A life that says, I've surrendered all. Remember singing that this morning? At the cross, at the cross. I surrender all. That's the kind of belief that Jesus is speaking of here. And that's the answer. You might remember back again, the helpful verse in Deuteronomy. The reason why God gave them manna was to test them. I don't know how comfortable you are with that. Factor that through the, the old noodle for a minute, right? It wasn't this idea that he's giving you bread to make you happy. That's not what it says. In fact, if you don't know it here, go back to Exodus. I'm going to make everybody go back there. Go back. Exodus chapter 16. I don't have it on, on the slide, so I want you to see it. Not only do we have it written in De Deuteronomy, that the reason why God humbled them and caused them to hunger was to test them, to teach them this lesson. If you go to Exodus chapter 16, I want you to see right in verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will. That's what's going on here. God is trying to wake up the people to say, you think you just are hungry. You think it's a physical problem. I got, I got to tell you, it's more than a physical problem. The solution for you is actually believing in God's word. And God's word for the Israelites was six days, don't keep any overnight. Seventh day, I'll provide because on that six you, you gather double and I will make it last into the seventh. If they did that, if they believed his word, that's faith. And that's the spiritual solution. For Jesus, it was the same thing. And number three, the incarnate word of God. Right? If that's the solution, you got to believe God's word. You want, to, you want to know who the Word is? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is your answer.
Jesus is where true life is found. So what do you do with this? I'll very quickly just offer this to you, these questions. What do you hunger for in this world? I guarantee that fish would have wanted to have water and oxygen and food in a safe place. But if I took that crispy little sardine and dropped him back in the water, it means nothing. He'd be hungering for the wrong thing. It will, it will do him no good whatsoever. He needs something I cannot provide. He needs something that only God provides, life. And the same is true for us. So what do you hunger for? Number two, do you believe God's word? And maybe number three, do you obey God's word? That was the issue with manna. This is Jesus saying over and over, this is what it means to do my Father's will. You want to please him? Believe in the one who he has sent. Don't just seek to fill your bellies. So the ultimate question is, have you come to Jesus? As I wrap this up, I want you to turn one last time to John 6. Because there's... As Paul Harvey would say, the rest of this story, and, and I just want to finish it up for you as we conclude John 6 once more. Jesus concludes there in verse 59. He said, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching the synagogue at Capernaum. Verse 60. Check this out now. On hearing this, many of the disciples said, this is hard. Who can accept this teaching? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit. And they are life. And yet there are some of you who do not believe. And then John, the narrator here, helps us know. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, this is why I told you that no one can come to to me unless the Father has enabled him. Look at verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Do you want to leave too? Do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Look at their answer. Simon Peter, speaking on behalf of the disciples, answering him, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know you are the Holy One of God. I, I, I got to pretend like none of you here are saved. That's what I got to pretend like. I got to pretend like every one of you is hearing the gospel for the first time. What do you hunger for? What is it that's occupying all your anxiety and time? Are you focused here on this world? Are you focused here on having your comforts met? Or do you recognize that you need something that cannot be provided by this world? And so the answer for you is believing in God's word. It's believing in Jesus Christ. But that belief is a belief that follows in faith and obedience. And if you have never come to the place in your life where you've seen Jesus according to what he has said, then when it comes time to eat of the bread, you have no life in you. If you have no Jesus, then you have no life. But if you have, like the disciples, not the ones who turn and say, yeah, it's too hard. And you know that's a thing in our world today. There are a lot of people who think, man, Christians are offensive. You're all this phobic, phobic this, phobic that. You're judgmental, you're bigots. You're, 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 to be a Christian is to be seen by our world to be quite foolish in our world. It's a hard teaching. It offended the people then at that day. It offends people today. And I'd rather have, I'd rather have my nice 
place here and now. I'd rather have a full belly now. Folks, there is a life that you need to find after this life. Your problem isn't physical, it's spiritual. And so you need to find Jesus. Everything in this world, everything will not satisfy. It's like a shadow. That's what it's like. Everything in this world will pass away. It's like a shadow. And you must turn to the source of life. He is the living word. He is the bread of life. Amen. Amen. Will you pray with me today?